Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And Jack, as many of our listeners now know, we have a book that's going to be coming out. And the book now has a website. It's educationwarsbook.com. Very has a real ring to it. And <laughs> I mentioned the book not just out of excitement, but also because one of the things we did was we reached out to a number of your colleagues and asked them to write what we called a micro op-ed. Basically, you know, explaining something about public education and its history and its politics. And we got some stuff that was absolutely great. And one of them came from a gentleman named Jonathan Collins. He made the case very briskly, I thought, that what schools need is more democracy, not less. And we both loved it. And we thought, you know what? We need to give this guy more of an opportunity to explain what's on his mind. Yeah, more podcast for Jonathan, not less. Yeah, Jonathan Collins is a political scientist, an expert in public policy, an education scholar. He writes a column for Fidel to Kappen. He and I worked on a piece along with several other scholars, some of whom have been on this show, uh, about the importance of uh, democratic practices in school districts. He has written about deliberation as a process, about democratic processes that involve young people in schools, about how meetings should be run. And I think all of this is really important at a time when, you know, I think people are beginning to question the sagacity of allowing ordinary Americans to attend school board meetings and to, you know, even hold elected office where they make high stakes decisions about what's going to be happening in our schools. And listening to him or talking with him makes me feel more optimistic about democratic processes in education. We're not where we need to be right now, but I think that by the end of this episode, listeners will feel like maybe they're not ready to give up on democracy yet. I think that's such a good point because it is a moment where, like, I often feel that when, you know, when I'm talking to people about, you know, like when I'm trying to make the case for like why school boards matter, you know, I do feel a little hesitant about it because we've seen so much of the worst of them over the last couple of years. But I think that I share your concern that this effort to kind of remove really important decisions decisions regarding public education from democratic oversight is really dangerous, no matter where the justification is coming from. Right. And I hope that one of the things that will come out of our conversation with Jonathan today is that democratic practices in public education aren't merely important because they allow us to produce the kinds of outcomes that we can all live with, but they're also important because of the process of democratic decision-making that allows for deliberation, discussion, debate across difference, and that you know, ostensibly because we are all bought in to the idea that public education will serve all young people, will 
allow us to jointly make decisions that don't produce consensus necessarily, but again, produce something that we're all willing to live with and that maybe even convinces us in the end that democratic decision-making is a better way of going about things than by retreating into our separate camps or um, letting technocrats make decisions for us. Uh, and, And I just want to emphasize here that, you know, there aren't many other places in public life for us to do this sort of thing, but that in education, we've got 13,000 districts across the entire United States that allows for democratic practices. And we've got 98,000 schools. And that's not to say we do it well, but there is an infrastructure there that allows us to think about the potential for viewing public education as a kind of seedbed of democracy. Well, unfortunately, Jack, public comment for this segment of the show is limited to three minutes. You, sir, have exceeded your time once again. (laughs) That's right. Now to the main event. Our special guest is education policy scholar Jonathan Collins, currently at Brown University. And the focus of Jonathan's work can be summed up in a single word, democracy. In his research and writing for the public, Jonathan has been making the case that we need more democracy when it comes to how our schools are run. In other words, it's a big topic, which is why Jack is so eager to get us started. I'm going to start us off with a really big, broad question. And I am, I am worried that you might run screaming from the virtual studio. But here it is. Can we save democracy by making it more democratic? It's oddly a great question. And obviously on the surface, it seems oxymoronic, right? It's like, can you save the thing with the thing? I think what you're getting at is what I've been trying to get at. We have kind of a fixed, kind of settled idea of what we think democracy is. And we think that democracy is representatives that are sent to serve, whether it's in Congress, state legislature, or a city council or school board, you name it. These representatives that we select through elections, they make decisions on our behalf. uh, And assuming that there is minimal distance between the preferences of the people and the decisions made by those representatives, then this is the kind of pure vision of democracy. And when we when we get outcomes that detract away from that kind of, I think, oversimplified ideal, then we say, whoa, is there a crisis going on? And we never kind of stop to question whether or not that idea that we have of democracy is incomplete. Now, obviously, this is an education podcast, which means that we're particularly interested in the appropriate relationship between democracy and schools. And Jonathan says the fact that this is even a question just shows how far off track we've gotten. You go back to the common schools movement, and this was a a pretty much a universal understanding that one of the primary purposes of developing and expanding an education system is to equip kids who eventually become adult citizens with the tools to engage in self-governing. But at the core, it was this idea that like, well, if we're going to be a democracy, if it's going to be rule of people by people, then those people should know how to self-rule. You know, now we're, we're questioning whether or not democracy is is useful in schools. We're questioning whether or not civics education is useful. We're questioning what civics education should look like. 
There's questions of whether civics education is just glorified liberal proselytizing. We're so far off base from where we where we started. But the irony has always been that where we started was the right place, at least in terms of thinking about the relationship between democracy and education. School boards are the main focus of Jonathan's work, and at a time when they are under siege, he argues that school boards are essential crucibles of local democracy. But one thing you need to know about Jonathan is that he has every reason to view school boards with extreme suspicion. I grew up in a small town outside of Memphis, a small racially divided town. So there was this high school, still is. My grandparents went to this school when it was segregated. And then it integrated after Brown v. Board. I think the school finally integrated in the early 70s. And then my parents in the 80s went to the integrated school. And then the summer before I started high school, they separated the two schools again. One was a traditional public school. The other was an academic magnet school. It was all honors and AP. I went to the traditional school not because I didn't have the grades or academically couldn't perform to get into the the academic honors AP school. It was just, I made the basketball team. I was trying to hang out with my friends, thought I was cool, but I'm not going to the nerd school. I'm going over here to the cool school. Come on. That dividing up of the school effectively resegregated it, something that Jonathan said he didn't understand until much later. Like little did I know that I was at the center of what I think was one of the larger policy debates that happened, I think, in the modern history of that community. And again, this happens under the watch of a school board, sanctioned by a school board. So (laughs) why not get rid of them? Good question. Why not get rid of them? Fast forward some years down the road from Jonathan's time at that high school, and he's now an ardent defender of school boards. And his case is pretty simple. We need school boards. And most importantly, vulnerable kids need school boards. The argument that I've been making about why we need school boards is mainly because we need school systems and we need institutions that can govern schools as systems. Because if we don't have a school system in place, what incentive is there to support the kids with the strongest needs? That's the whole sort of collective action problem. Like that's the whole purpose of institutions is to create an incentive to support the most vulnerable. To make the case for school boards, Jonathan often invokes another public service. Why do we have fire departments? Most of us have never actually had to call the fire department to come and stop our house from burning. Yet, we're very glad when the house burns down that there are these guys sitting around playing cards at 3 a.m. Because they create this systematic support that when it's there, when it's needed... They respond, regardless of the incentive structure, because the incentive structure would be for us to never pay taxes for fire department. Why? I never use it. Why would I put any money into it? But despite the self-interest that I have in there not being a fire department, because I don't set my house on fire, there is one in place because as a system, we understand that we need it for the people who are in these particularly vulnerable moments. And I think about the school board and school system in the same way. In other words, like them or not, we need school boards because without some kind of system in place for oversight and the control of resources, there's no incentive to make sure that the most vulnerable kids are getting what they need. If we didn't have a system, then all the incentives would be around the parents with the most mobility sending their kids to the best schools. And 
all we would see is hot potato being played with the kids that have the deepest levels of challenges. Who else has an incentive to target and identify and solve the problems that are in existence for those kids that are on the most vulnerable end of the distribution? You need a school board with a system that has control over resources to be able to reallocate to those kids that need the most supports. You're not going to get that without any kind of wide self-governing structure in place. Okay, so you've heard Jonathan's case for school boards, and before we go any further, let's just establish once and for all that despite his insistent support of these beleaguered democratic bodies, Jonathan does not believe that they are perfect governing institutions. He has lived their weaknesses and their backsliding, and whatever critique you've heard levied against them or levied yourself, he most likely shares. Now, if you want to critique the way the school boards govern, Well, sign me up. I'm here for it. Let's do it. You think that the school board election turnout rate is a problem? So do I. You think their meetings are too boring and bureaucratic? So do I. You think that some of the people who show up who uh, run for school board are running for the wrong reasons? I'm with you on, on that one, too. But we can improve those facets of how the institution is designed. But we can do that also without completely removing the institution. Because what I fear more so is what happens to the kids when there's no institution in place, I fear that more than I fear even just an institution that doesn't seem to always work properly. Jonathan's particular interest in school boards is their unique role as democratic institutions. He argues that because so many Americans have experienced public education, school boards offer an accessible entry point to democratic decision-making. And that's just not true of a lot of other issues. Prayers up for all the folks that are trying to solve climate change, because it is just very difficult to show how practical and tangible this is outside of a natural disaster and like a lot of people die. On the day to day, it seems just this attached abstract idea, whereas with education, with schools, with school boards and school districts, because most of us have some kind of experience with schools, some sort of memory and an extended experience too. Like you're talking about 13 years of your life spent in these places. And so when there's an opportunity to, or a space for deciding how we'll change, improve, respond to challenges around this thing, like school boards, I think are uniquely positioned here. You're making decisions around the thing that everybody has some sort of experience with. No, at this point, you may be wondering to yourself something along these lines. Dude, have you ever been to a school board meeting? Jonathan knows just where you're coming from. I get it. Like, I'm a parent of a small child, but after daycare pickup, I don't know if I want to go to a school board meeting. I kind of just want to eat dinner. Maybe if there's a NBA game on, I can watch that. Do I want to talk about budgets? So, like, how do we create institutions that really work on the terms of everyday people? So for me, with deliberative culture and deliberative norms, it's not about people constantly attending every single meeting and being engaged in intense debate and dialogue. It's about having an institution that operates with the norm that when people do show up, if they have a concern, we'll have discourse around it. A big part of why Jonathan is such a believer in school boards has to do with their potential as spaces for what he calls deliberative norms or deliberative culture. And while this concept may be new to you, chances are you have experienced its opposite. I think one of the most disheartening things is when you go to a school board meeting and you sign up for public comment and there's something you want to say and then you you muster the courage to go up and say it because like, hey, who likes public speaking? I get nervous, you know, speaking in front of strangers. Kids don't even want to speak up in class. 
you think you want to get up in front of a school board and say something? So when people muster that courage, right, they give their spiel about an after school program that was taken away from their kid's school or a math teacher who they really liked that the district didn't bring back. Or they talk about a new arts program that they've been wanting to see put into their schools for years because they have a lot of kids who are really interested in dance. There's no place to go and do it. And then the school board just says, thank you for your comment. And then they go sit down. Well, it's incredibly deflating. With deliberative norms, just creating an environment where there are these elements of deliberation and discourse, some sort of opportunity for response to public comment, using school board meetings as workshops where parents can talk to one another in small groups, you know, just creating opportunities for dialogue on the terms of everyday community stakeholders. Folks who, when they have a problem, they can show up, they know there'll be dialogue around it, and there's opportunity for that dialogue to actually shape the policies that the district pursues, or even just some of the activities, the strategies, the practices that are put in place. So, yeah. One of the things that I like so much about that, Jonathan, is that it honors what democracy really is in practice, which is not confined to showing up once a year to vote, or more likely for most Americans, once every two years or once every four years to vote, and is not confined to anything that can be done with political affiliation, right? That democracy is many things, but it's a way of living. And that we can teach it in the schools and through the schools, not just in the civics classroom, but through the operation of the school and the school district. And so I want to spend a couple minutes talking a little bit more about ways that we can tweak the operation of schools and school districts, because I know this is something that you've thought about, such that we are more active in this sort of day-to-day democratic life. I just want to give you a chance to, to throw some ideas around about simple fixes, or maybe not simple fixes, that would enhance the usefulness of schools as seedbeds for democratic practices. You know, for me, it's just thinking about the question of how do we make democratic institutions or institutions that decide how schools operate? How do we make those institutions democratic in the sense that they work on the terms of everyday folks and especially people in our communities that have the highest barriers and the most at stake? There are small things that districts are starting to do now that I think are great, like translating materials, providing translation services at meetings, that kind of thing. I would love for, you know, meetings to just become more communal. Why can't they be fun? You know, like, why can't you come in and there's good food there and you get to see your friends and catch up with folks you don't get to see in your community? And oh, by the way, we get to business. I love the small group design. But again, having people come and have discussions on specific things, because here's the issue, too. Like, even if you say, well, we'll turn a meeting into a workshop. And we want people to have discussions over policy-related issues that could influence the board's decision-making. If you look at a board agenda, I mean, there's like dozens of things that they're covering in one specific meeting. So you have to decide, okay, what are the issues that we should prioritize in democratizing? This also gives school board members cover because when you talk to them, their concern is the meetings would be too long if we had this kind of deliberation stuff happening. The meetings are already like five hours. If, if we started doing your deliberation stuff, we would be there all night. It's like, well, not necessarily. The key, says Jonathan, is to focus on the issues that people really care about. And those are usually pretty easy to discern. 
I think you should partition it and have specific matters that are deliberated and specific issues that you handle as a board that maybe don't get put up for that kind of discussion. But you have to also have a pathway for items that aren't discussed to become discussed if need be. We know the issues that people care about the most and will have discussions around, you know, spending budget stuff. Um, as we've seen lately, curriculum is very popular and anything around teaching and instruction and then extracurricular stuff, after school programming. I think just institutionalizing opportunities for discourse around those specific items. Maybe it's a monthly thing. Maybe you do it every other month. Maybe you only do it, you know, four times an academic year. But this becomes an opportunity for people to weigh in on real policy-related issues. Many, many episodes ago, we interviewed a young scholar named Sally Nuama. She was studying the political fallout from school closings in Chicago under then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And what she found was that the experience of organizing and speaking up and getting nowhere is absolutely corrosive to democracy. That was episode number 28 for you superfans out there. I mention this because Jonathan says that the structure of school board meetings can do something similar. The people who've taken the time to show up and speak up can end up feeling like their voices don't matter. Or when something does change, too often they're left in the dark. For school boards, that means it isn't enough just to take steps to be more democratic. Honestly, coming up with the interventions is only half the battle and probably not even the most important part. The most important part is delivering on what's discussed because we see elements of this happening. Districts, they have public hearings where people can come, they can yell at the school board and tell them how much they suck. They have smaller forums where people can also come and do the same thing. And then you have your regular public meetings where there's public comment. One issue that happens is we don't build the response into the design. We have to have a way of saying, hey, remember this thing you told us that we suck because we didn't do? We did it. Do we still suck? And maybe they're like, yeah, you still suck. But I think you would lower the likelihood that they think you suck if you built in a tool to show them that you did what you said you were going to do or what they told you they wanted you to do. Jonathan says that school boards also need to do a much better job of explaining when and why their hands are tied because of policies being handed down at the state level. You also have to be very forthcoming and thoughtful about, okay, what's malleable? Because there are some things that you can't change. Sorry, these are state mandates out of our hands. Here are the things we have flexibility around. Here are the parameters of that flexibility. Let's have a discussion over where we should be given that flexibility around those parameters. And then we can come back and show you, here's where we were, here's where we are now. But instead, we have these open discussions People start talking about things that either, one, the school board can't influence, or two, things that go against or even in favor of things that have already been pre-decided behind closed doors by the school board. And then the school board moves forward from those conversations, nothing seemingly happens, and then trust begins to further erode. Okay, so this all sounds great. Making school boards more democratic in the service of democracy, I am down, and you probably are too. But what does it actually look like? Jonathan is a big fan of something called participatory budgeting. Basically, it refers to a democratic process where community members decide how to spend some portion of a public budget. 
it's a smart idea. Like just take a small percentage of your funding and let kids, parents, community stakeholders be at the forefront of the conversation for how those resources should be used. What I'm finding is that you need parameters, you need guardrails, but not for the reasons that I think people think. The big concern is that, well, if you give people power over resources, especially kids, then they'll like pick frivolous stuff like bright water fountains or who knows. Every kid gets a pair of like whatever the cool shoes are. I don't know. I'm not hip. You know, I think kids are, especially if you frame the discussion for them, they're more thoughtful than that. The hardest part from my experience has been how do you have conversations about ways to use resources to help improve student learning, to like actually help you in the classroom? Because as a kid, I think they want to focus on the things that are more directly related to survival. You know, the food in the cafeteria, the conditions of the facilities, Kids have the nerve to care about clean drinking water. The nerve. And here again, finding the money and setting up the structures for community members to have input may actually be the easy parts of this process. What's hard is rebuilding trust so that everyone can focus on what really matters. This relationship between democracy and education has become so disconnected that we don't expect democratic governance in schools. So like when someone tells you your school community has control over something, you're almost kind of taken aback. Like, really? (laughs) We're supposed to be the ones to tell you. You have to build trust in a process that will actually empower people to do this. And I think the facility stuff, the food stuff is the low hanging fruit that makes it easier to build the trust to do some of the bigger things. But the bigger things have to be helping kids in the classroom. And I think that's where the democracy folks, we kind of get a bad rap because I think people think that those of us who are pushing for democracy, we just want like kumbaya, handholding, singing songs, and everyone to get along. Like we don't want kids to do well academically. Like we don't want kids learning algebra, <laughs> you know, like, like we don't want kids, you know, reading up to level, you know, like, no, <laughs> we want these things too. We just think that there's a a better way to go about it than, you know, testing, especially really bad testing. Now, if you've been around for a while, you no doubt remember a time when the loudest criticisms of school boards were coming from the education reform crowd, who argued very loudly that elected boards were bad for student achievement. There was Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix, saying that he wanted to abolish them, and a veritable alphabet soup of reform groups making the case for weakening school boards or replacing them with hand-picked charter boards. Well, Jonathan has a question for them. I think there are some of us who are wondering, what happened to these reformer people? Because they were very loud a decade ago. And it was it was all about reforming the institutions, whether it was increasing school choice and it was all of these like neoliberal privatization kind of models will like save and restore public education. And, and the volume was very high. I mean, it was like speakers in the back trunk. It was loud. And now suddenly I'm like, where are you people? Where are you? I'm not calling for you to agree with you. I just want that debate back. Can we be dance partners again? Because I'm looking at the new dance partners and I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know where we go from here. We abolish school boards just because they're teaching something that they're not teaching. Abolish school boards because they have policies in place that aren't mandates that like just protect kids from having the right to exist. I mean, like, I don't know what we do with this. And I don't necessarily worry about it from the standpoint of the actual abolition of school boards. 
I worry about it from the standpoint of losing focus on the main thing, which is kids being supported, kids being safe, healthy, thriving, these fully formed, well-rounded democratic citizens that not only contribute to our democracy, but just like are just joyous and happy people. We talked to Jonathan before last week's wholesale rejection of Moms for Liberty-type candidates by voters in multiple states, a topic we'll no doubt be addressing on a future episode. It was a rare bright spot in what can otherwise seem like a steadily rising sea of bad news. But Jonathan remains unfailingly optimistic. There's a lot of pessimism. There's a lot of critique. There are alarm bells that are ringing for sure. But I find irony in it, in that a lot of the people that I see ringing the alarms and raising the rallying flag around this idea that democracy is under threat and that the school system is beyond repair are people who are in positions of privilege that never really face the full implications of it. And so, you know, my optimism in democracy, in the ability to strengthen democracy in in route to strengthening school systems. The optimism comes from just seeing how folks who don't have those privileges still keep waking up every day and pressing forward. You know, my perspective, I think, just very much comes from my own upbringing and kind of where I am with my life. You know, I'm, I'm an Ivy League professor. My parents work in factories. My dad gets up at 5 a.m. every day to go to a factory to make car parts for Toyota vehicles. If he's finding optimism, who am I to sit here and say that the system is is, is done, that it can't be repaired, that it can't be fixed? My job is to not engage in despair. My job, given the privilege, given the resources, given the flexibility, is to figure out what that repair looks like. That was education policy scholar Jonathan Collins, currently at Brown University, soon headed to Teachers College at Columbia University, and a contributor to our forthcoming book, The Education Wars. Did I mention that we have a book coming out? It's true. Jack and I will be right back to talk about the age-old dream of replacing democratic oversight of schools with something more akin to Comcast customer service. And of course, we'll be revealing the topic of this episode's In the Weeds segment for our Patreon supporters. Here's a hint. It isn't just the right that would like to see less democracy in education. We break down the push for student outcomes-focused governance. Chances are it's coming to a school board near you. If this intrigues you, just go to patreon.com slash haveyouheardpodcast and become a supporter. Jack, I don't know if you remember, but one of the gloomiest episodes we ever did was with a political economist named Gordon Lafer. And he said that the vision for education among people who don't believe in it as any kind of public good was that basically our relationship to it should be akin to something like you on the phone with Comcast. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would be the, the extent. It's a customer service model. And that if you don't like the product... You can go, you can take your business elsewhere, um, assuming that there is somewhere else to go. And so like you actually hear that a lot in the the debate over school vouchers, people pointing out, you know, there's actually 
less, it's, you know, parents have less rights when it comes to something like a school voucher. And people will say, well, they can just take their business elsewhere. You know, if you don't like ABC Mouse, you can switch to another <laughs> another provider. And I was just reminded that listening to Jonathan's vision and his call to make these systems more democratic. Yeah, yeah. I I think that that's a really helpful way of thinking about it, Jennifer, the way you just framed the conversation that we had with Jonathan as a kind of alternative to a marketized vision in which each of us is our own universe and we should pursue our own self-interest regardless of the stake that we really do have in each other. And, you know, there are all sorts of reasons to make the case against a marketized system of education rather than the public system that we have right now, including thinking about outcomes, including thinking about students' rights. But there's a real democratic consequence if what we say is that each of us is a customer, that each of us should pursue a vision of the world as we would like it to be, and to do so in a way that does not require us to recognize what other people want, to sympathize with them, um, to to negotiate with them, right? That, that that is the heart of democracy. And as I said at the beginning of the show, we really don't have many places to practice this in our society. Mostly we pretend that what it means to be a citizen is to periodically show up and cast a ballot to you know, possibly not make an excuse and serve on a jury, and you know, maybe maybe take your garbage out. Right, that's about the full extent I think of what it means to be a citizen in practice. And yet, and yet, there are all of these other ways of being citizens. And I think it's really important to recognize and name those ways and engaging with each other as co-equals in governing a public education system that serves, you know, for all intents and purposes, all young people in this country. There is the exception of the 9% of students who are in private schools. But, you know, that is the beating heart of democracy. And so I felt like our conversation with Jonathan really allowed us to pinpoint some of these places where democracy really does get practiced, as well as to highlight ways that we can do a better job there, right? We aren't where we want to be, but you know, I think that a vision of school boards that function better than they currently do is a whole lot more appealing to me, at least, than a vision of a world without school boards. Well, Jack, once again, you have set me up perfectly to <laughs> reveal the topic of our In the Weeds segment for our Patreon subscribers. It turns out that not everyone in the world agrees with your take and Jonathan's take about the essential uh, role that democracy plays in public school oversight. And there are actually uh, some fairly well-organized efforts out there to shrink the role of democracy. And I'm thinking of student outcomes for focused governance. I know people are thinking, wow, that sounds really boring. No, actually, it's not. My head nearly exploded. It's partially exploded right now. <laughs> yeah, for every Democrat, small d Democrat out there, there is a corresponding technocrat, and it is worth thinking about their vision of the world as well. So if you're a Patreon member, then hang out and we'll take you into the weeds with us. But for those of you who are not 
thank you for coming this far on the journey with us. Uh, you are always invited to the free portion of the show, which is the real portion of the show. And to help our democratic community continue to grow. Uh, there are lots of things. You know how to do them. Share the show, subscribe to the show, tweet about the show, or, or whatever you call that platform now, Blue Sky, about the show. And uh, let us know how we can serve you better as customers. No, no, not serve you better as customers. Let us know how we can better include you in our community. And if you would like to accompany us into the weeds to learn about yet another comeback of the technocrats, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash have you heard podcast and you'll see a list of the extras you can get just by throwing a few dollars our way each month. There's a reading list for each show. This one will be heavy on democracy and also student outcomes focused governance. And what else? Uh, anything else, Jack? I think that's about it. I mean, as long as you're selling people stuff, you can mention the book one more time. Oh, yeah. The new book. We're so excited about it. We found <laughs> out it's going to be out in June, and you can learn all about it just by going to educationwarsbook.com. 